Thanks to Slack for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Slack is a messaging app that brings together all your team's communications in one place, making work simpler and more productive. Go to slack.com to learn more. It's Wednesday, January 17th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Asset Management, Bill Barker. Happy Wednesday. Thank you. You braved the snow and made it in. Congratulations, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. It was. Uh... Hard to dust it off the car in less than uh, thirty seconds. I, I had to work quickly. It was. It was our. I think it was our colleague uh, Rob Brunette who uh, who tweeted out this morning. If you can clear away the snow with a broom, then school probably shouldn't be canceled. Was school canceled? I I think for maybe, you or I think no, it wasn't canceled here. It was. It was the proverbial two-hour delay. So and so it goes uh, on a day when you know what we got news we got news to get to here businesses we've got news in the luxury industry we've got a big sale in the candy industry we're going to start with General Electric holy cow so the Wall Street Journal reporting that General Electric is reportedly considering breaking itself up and for anyone who has ever advocated for any company to be broken up. Under the idea that doing so will quote unlock value, that appears not to be the case today because shares of GE are trading down and they are close to a six-year low. And John Flannery, the CEO of General Electric, who's been there for just a couple of months or so, I think is the most interesting CEO to watch this year. And it's for things like this. It's for things like him saying, "Yeah, sure, we'll consider this. There are no sacred cows at this company, and in fact, we may break the whole thing up." But tell me why this is not on the surface. This seems like not the most insane idea in the world, and yet the reaction from the stock and the reaction from plenty of investors is not only is this not an idea that will unlock value, this is just flat out a bad idea for a lot of reasons. Could be that, or it could be the reaction of late, which is that anything that GE says is going to reveal that things are worse than we thought. Every time any piece of information comes out these days, it's there's there's more trouble than you could possibly have imagined uh, regarding you know the some of the un, underfunded pension obligations and the um, you know, provisions that they have in uh, the. Uh, reinsurance business. It just is one uh, one bad report after another, and this isn't even doesn't really even come out as a report. But I think that the negative reaction that the market is placing on the news, if if it qualifies as news, is uh, this this will not be easy to achieve, and will not necessarily create value uh, because there is so much of a gray area in GE's financials that it is hard. To separate, although there are very distinct operations to the business, the financing of the businesses is uh, muddled, and separating it all could be uh, very difficult. So, does that mean that because you're right, I think in the same way that Flannery uh, has come out and talked about different divisions, I think it's 
natural and easy for a lot of investors to look at that company just in those terms. Well, here are the different pieces. In the same way that we've seen large conglomerates sell off various divisions, and we'll and we'll speaking of which, we'll get to that later in the show in in a completely different industry. But we've seen that with Procter and Gamble over the last six years. We're selling these divisions. Uh, Johnson and Johnson has done it to a lesser degree as well. But is the so what you're talking about with the financing is the financing. So even though there are these specific divisions, is the financing so convoluted that it it spreads across all of them? And I guess where I'm going with this is to some extent, is the finance is the way that they've been financing all these divisions likely to get them into some sort of legal trouble if that comes to light? Not necessarily that they're doing something wrong at the moment. Uh, as much as GE Capital, for instance, has got about a hundred billion dollars in debt, and that—that's how the capital division is financed. Well, the reason that it can get that debt at a at a reasonable price from the market is that other operations of GE, the industrial division specifically, uh, and the healthcare division, um, have good enough cash flows, and so that you've got when you look at the whole thing in its entirety, you've got a higher rated higher rated Bond. You, the bonds that are issued by GE Capital are backed by all of GE, and and nothing, and and the whole thing is better than than the sum of the one part of GE Capital. Well, if you split all this up, uh, these bonds are going to get re-rated, uh, and those that bought the bonds under the belief that they had the backing of these healthy cash flow businesses behind them. Uh, are now going to be owning something with a lot more risk to it, and therefore the price of the bond is going to go down, and uh, they're going to want their money back in one form or another. Uh, usually, uh, one of the forms that they might try to get their money back is suing. You know that that uh, violates the covenants that they had or believe they had when they were buying the bond. So uh, there's just so much. Uh, how do you, given that there's 30 billion, more than 30 billion of underfunded pension obligations? Uh, who who gets that? Who who would like that part of the business? I was going to say, in the divorce, who keeps that piece of furniture? Yeah, uh, and so who wants to buy? Who wants to buy any of these businesses? Is a different question from, well, if you buy the business, you've got to buy some of the debt, some of the downside, some of the obligations, and that's a little bit messier. One of the pieces of this story today, sort of the, one of the ripple effects is, as GE stock continues to drop, again, closing in on a six-year low, uh, people looking at General Electric's place in the Dow Jones Industrial Average uh, as being under threat, that at some point, if this thing drops much lower, then the people who decide what stocks stay in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and there are just 30 of them, and which ones need to go, they may decide to boot it. And by the way, it's been nearly four years since this happened. This is not like the S&P 500, which rebalances every year. This is when almost whenever they feel like it. And it was March of 2014 when the Dow Jones people got together and said, AT&T has got to go, and Apple, welcome to the club. Yeah, and so at the end of 2013, GE was still on a roll. Uh, it was a nearly $300 billion market cap company. And today it's uh, less than $150, um, around, right around $150, so about half the size. 
little bit better than half the size. And it, its prominence is still significant in the American economy and in a collection of the biggest companies. Uh, but it's obviously been lapped by many companies. It's nowhere near the largest company in America, which is a title it held at various times. And uh, it's not going to get back there. Uh, certainly not by breaking up, and I think that uh, that should have no influence in what they do, whether they're a member of uh, the Dow Industrials or not. Uh, but it is an inter- interesting question. Yeah, you know, if they were to break up, I'd, there's probably no part of that you would especially want to have uh, in the Dow, and there'd be there'd be an opening. But that would create greater demand for the stock, as there are funds that are just Dow funds. The in the same way that there are. Funds out there and investors out there who are looking for dividend stocks. And so it's not just that GE has basically been cut in half since the end of 2013, it's also that they've cut their dividend. Yeah, yeah. The the number of uh, purchasers of the stock is getting you know is dwindling all the time, as evidenced by being down another four and a half percent so far today. More sellers than buyers, and uh, you know when you talk about uh, the CEO, most interesting CEO of the year. Uh, you know, what's the thesis there? That that at any moment, John Flannery could come out and announce almost anything. The, We're going into cartoons. <laughs> say what you want about uh, the way GE, uh, his predecessor Jeff Immelt. Say what you want about how he ran that company. Um, one th- one word that was not enough private planes for any one trip. <laughs> exactly. Uh, w- one of the words that has been associated with GE, certainly GE, the stock over the last 20, 30, 40 years, is some version of the word steady. This has been a steady business. This has been a steady performer, and it's certainly been a steady payout of dividends. And I think John Flannery is the most interesting CEO to watch this year because. Every literally everything is on the table in terms of what he will do with this company. So, as as I said earlier, that uh, I was going to go in this direction. So, your view is that this is um, a so crazy it just might work uh, thing with him. Anything might come. And right now, the the market is looking at it and say, "Well, that's crazy." Yeah. And you're saying, "Well, yeah." But it just might. It's it might so work. Crazy. It just might work. It might work. But there, but I, I I and I don't own this stock. But I totally understand why today a majority of investors who have a say in what's happening with GE are looking at it and they're just focusing on the first two words of that phrase. They're just looking at GE and saying that is so crazy, and I want no part of it. But that's why I think it's going to be interesting to see how all this plays out because it's not inconceivable that three to five years from now, Flannery has got General Electric going in a, in such a way that we look back and it's the ten thousand word article that's written about here's how Flannery turned it around. Here here are the bold moves he made and here's how he turned it around. It's been a, it's been a long uh, period of suffering for GE shareholders and I'm sure they're. Uh, hoping that it gets better, stocks have returned a little bit over one percent a year over the last fifteen years, uh, as compared to ten percent for the market. So, you know, this this has been a brutal time. Uh, a lot of the pain experienced in the last twelve months, as the stock has almost been cut in half uh, in that period. So, uh, I I think that it right now, 
the reflection of the stock price is more, I think, reflecting the information that has come into the market since uh, Flannery came in, rather than his or the company's actual performance. I think there's just more and more being revealed that things were not what they seemed to be. All right, let's move on. And uh, hey, if you're listening and you're good with numbers, good news. Papa John's is looking for a CFO. Lance Tucker, who is the chief financial officer and the chief administrative officer at Papa John's, is leaving at the end of February to become the CFO at Jack in the Box. He's been at that company for almost 25 years. And between this and John Schnatter deciding, or or maybe the board deciding that Schnatter no longer needs to be the CEO, that's basically your two most important executives gone, and maybe not a surprise. The chairs of Pop and Johns are falling today. Right, there is less and less visibility as to who who is going to be calling the shots and and how much confidence to have in them, and then you're left. You, I mean, you're left with. Uh, a company that got to where it was on, I guess, the strength of its operations and its leadership, and I think some resonance that the commercials achieved through, um, you know, through the CEO himself. Yeah, and and so the personality uh, that came across you know, in the ads. What next is is the question? And at the moment, it's uh, just well, it's a. Pizza chain. It's not. It's not renowned for its uh, delicious pizza above everybody else's. It's a highly competitive market. They've got better operations in terms of having uh, achieved, you know, a platform for online delivery and and mobile uh, orders and things like that. And that is going to be very valuable uh, going forward and is very valuable today. Uh, but who is calling the shots and what shots are going to be called and and just a far more comprehensive description of why is this all going on than has been provided so far. In the absence of any of that, the market's entitled and will continue to not be interested in buying the stock. Patrick Doyle is leaving Domino's. You think maybe he wants to <laughs> go to the other team, see if he can run that shop? I wouldn't have any idea, but there's a price for every. Everybody has their price, and I suppose his uh, he's willing he's able to command a pretty good price uh, if if that's where they wanted to go uh, as you say he's available but i have no reason to believe that uh, this is of interest to him nestle is selling its us candy business to ferrero which is an italian based candy company and nestle's going to get a nice big check for 2.8 billion dollars which is uh that's that's a big check uh for the business of butterfinger and baby ruth and my personal favorite uh, raisinets uh, and more there are others in that portfolio I, so here's what surprises me about this i think if you asked 100 people about the business of nestle just the proverbial person on the street interview if you ask a hundred people well, what business is Nestle in, they will they will I'm guessing a majority will refer to the candy. And in fact, this the U.S. candy business represents just a, a tiny portion of the overall business of Nestle. Yeah, it's about one percent, a little bit more than one percent of the global business. And so they are much more about Nestle. The company is much more about. Uh, pet food and bottled water and uh, uh, infant formulas, and I think they are looking 
at all of that as a more interesting future than candy, which is a stable business, uh, but not really a growing business. And they got close to $3 billion for what they are selling is about $900 million a year in sales uh, between uh, not just the Nestle Crunch Bar, but uh, Butterfinger, Baby Ruth, Raisinets, uh, Laffy Taffy. Those are the brands under the, the uh, Nestle uh, umbrella. Also, Kit Kat is a global Nestle brand, but uh, Hershey's has the rights to sell Kit Kat here. So you get those little bizarre combinations, and they're they're just going to focus on uh, the bigger fish, the growing the growing uh, parts of their market. It might be the most profitable of those brands you mentioned, but uh, if it's not, I think the first thing Ferrero should do is just shut down the Laffy Taffy division, just save some money. I mean, that's come on, that's not real candy. <laughs> come on, just 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 you know, they've got. Ferrero's got Nutella. They've got Tic Tacs. Now they've got some some serious candy in the U.S. Some serious U.S. candies coming into their portfolio. Focus on what's important, Ferrero. That's my advice. Just and ditch just the Laffy. Get rid of the Laffy Taffy. Oh, it bothers on. you for some reason. It's uh, you've had. Uh, I mean, it's not it's good. Got stuck in your teeth a couple of times, and you're still bitter. Uh, I'm not bitter. I'm just saying, you know, you come home at the end of the night on you Halloween. You just feel like a fool. You're trying. You've got this stuff stuck in your teeth. You're trying to pry it out. The kids are laughing at you. It's it's humiliating. You look. I know what you're saying. <laughs> you look at your bag of candy. You're going through it. You're telling me the first thing you're not ditching is the Laffy Taffy. Of course it is. There's no way. The first thing you're ditching are the Mary Janes. I mean that's that's another version of this. I mean those are the same thing. They're 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 cousins. They're basically cousins. Uh, before we go on, I want to say thanks to Slack for supporting today's episode of Market Foolery. Slack is a messaging app that brings all your team's communication together, giving everyone a shared workspace where conversations are organized and accessible. And that's particularly great if everyone's on board with that. Uh, that's not the case with Bill Barker, though. For some reason, uh, and I don't know why. Maybe he's he's a fan of inefficiency, but he's he's not big with the Slack, which is crazy because uh, we've been using Slack at the Motley Fool for years. It saves you time. It makes you more productive. You don't have to search through emails for that one follow-up, as Bill is a big fan of doing for some reason. Uh, no more switching across multiple tabs and platforms to keep updated with work. And you can drag and drop file sharing. That works with all the apps you already use, like Salesforce, Zendesk, and Google Drive. You can tailor Slack to work with over 1,000 apps. I mean, we worked out the rundown for today's show. We could have done it over Slack, as as many analysts and I do. But uh, no, you're you're a fan of the Stone Age. You're like, no, let's do this over email. You're one of these kids who <laughs> who enjoys never actually meeting anybody, never interacting with people on a one one on one basis. I'm a fan of productivity, and with mobile apps for iOS and Android that sync seamlessly, you can always pick up where you left off, no matter where you are. Slack, where work happens. Find out why at slack.com. Um, before we get to our final story, one housekeeping note. Uh, again, final call for summer interns 2018. Uh, we've got uh, internships available this summer here at The Motley Fool. And uh, if you're interested, uh, we've got analyst uh, internships, we've got tech editorial. Go to careers.fool.com. That's careers.fool.com if you're interested in an internship. Or, if you've got a child that you don't want like hanging out at your house all summer, if you're one of those parents who's like, what is my, what is my college kid going to be doing this summer? Oh, 
oh, well, I got an idea. I'll I'll see if they can get this internship at the Motley Fool. What is this summer camp? No, no. It's just, from the parent standpoint. It's like just please be busy this summer and get out of my house. And from you know from the intern standpoint, it's uh, it's a it's a great experience. You got a kid returning from college this summer. I do. Yeah. You know? What have you made her uh, do? Uh, I, you know, at this point, uh, I'm, Aha! I'm trying to. <laughs> no, no, no. She's not interested in this. At this point, I'm just trying to get her focused on her new set of classes. I just focus a new set of classes, new semester. All right, let's see if we can we can do even better. Did really well first semester. Let's see if we can do if even better. If you were going to help her get an internship, what would you? What would be a good one for her? What's what are her interests? Um, you know, she's, she's revealed to you. She's uh, she's studying uh, health sciences. So I would be a virtu- not, not a very big field that. <laughs> yeah, I would be a virtually no help to her in that regard. Uh, I think I think the most I would be able to help her if she says I'm I'm interested in an internship in health sciences. Uh, my response would be, Oh, okay. Uh, you should go talk to your mother. Yeah, I think that's the move there. Uh, you can add Tiffany to the list of companies that had a good holiday. Um, overall increase in sales over the holidays was eight percent, and same store sales were up five percent, and shares of Tiffany up not a huge amount today, but they're up just enough that. Tiffany's hitting a new high, new all-time high today for Tiffany. Well done. Yes. Did you spend any money there? I did not. I have at some occasions in the past, but uh, the, what they've got for sale at the moment is not as uh, as much of interest to me. The stuff that's getting the headlines, you know. Well, here's you mentioned the headlines. Here's what I think is interesting because people think of Tiffany, they automatically and rightly think of the jewelry business and the little blue box and and all of that branding. But the company is giving. A decent amount of the credit for their holiday sales to a new collection, sort of items for the home, accessories, that sort of thing, which include, among other things, a ruler, a silver ruler that costs $450. And as far as I can tell, it does everything that a wooden ruler does, which is to say, it just measures things up to a very short distance. The difference being a wooden ruler. Doesn't cost four hundred fifty dollars, and somehow Tiffany is getting people to buy these things. Yes, uh, that and uh, a number of the other, whatever it is, household everyday items is everyday objects. Uh, the one that sort of got the most um, humorous attention was the nine thousand dollars silver uh, ball of yarn, which in fact does none of the things that an actual ball of yarn does, uh, except uh, exist in silver form. Which uh, is very, very, very hard to knit with. Now you mentioned this to me earlier, and I'm I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. It's so how how big is the ball of yarn, and what does it do? You're showing me a picture, which is of little consequence to the people listening. But yeah, this appears to be an average size ball of yarn, but it's just made out of silver. Yes, and that's it. I'm just putting I'm I'm putting this on my mantle so that people who come over. Understand that I have that kind of money to throw away I have, uselessly. I have stupid money. Yes, I have money. That's what it says. That's what you're saying to the people that come into your house. Do you have nine thousand dollars to throw away on a, a useless uh, silver ball, ball of yarn? I could have lit this money on fire. Instead, I did the next best thing. I spent it on a nine thousand dollar 
silver ball of yarn. And it's not just a silver ball of yarn. There are lots of these everyday objects that you can uh, flaunt your disposable uh, income um, at people. There, there's all sorts of things. So this reminded me of uh, you, you have talked before about your affinity for Bob Newhart, uh, the tremendous comedian. Uh, uh, younger people will know him as Papa Elf from the movie Elf. Uh, people of our generation and older will know him from uh, two highly successful television sitcoms. And the four hundred fifty dollar ruler reminded me of. An episode of the first Bob Newhart show that, uh, from a plot standpoint, is the only episode that I remember. And and uh, I'm curious if you remember this. It's where uh, Bob's wife buys him an expensive watch for his birthday. Do you remember this episode? I don't. I, I for whatever reason, this is the episode that stuck with me, and I think it's because I identified with. Uh, how Bob was feeling when he got this. So it's his birthday. He doesn't like a big deal made about his birthday. His wife buys him a very expensive watch. He has a perfectly serviceable watch on his wrist. His wife buys him this expensive watch. And and this is, I think, the first scene in the show. And then he goes to work and he's chatting with uh, Jerry the dentist, who's, who's part of the office complex, because uh, uh, Bob is a psychiatrist, right? Yes. Yeah. So he's talking about, and Jerry's like, "Oh, and I forget the brand name, but it's you know, oh, that's a let's just let's just say the the expensive brand name is Barker." He's like, "Oh, that's a Barker watch. That's amazing." And uh, and Bob's like, "Oh, well, it, yeah, it's it's really nice." And and Jerry's saying, "You don't understand. That's a Barker watch." And uh, and Bob's like, well, "Do you think she spent like a hundred dollars on it?" And by the way, this episode takes place in 1973, so a one hundred dollar watch in 1973 is a healthily expensive watch. And Jerry's like, "Are you kidding me? That thing costs thirteen hundred dollars." And Bob almost passes out. And then when he goes back home at the end of the day, his wife's like, "Where's the watch?" And he. He's so terrified that he has a $1,300 watch around his wrist that he has not only taken it off his wrist, he has put it in a smaller box and put that box inside his briefcase, which is locked. And I, the line that I remember he says to his wife is when he's trying to say to her, "Like, I, can can I return this? Can can you take this back?" And he says, "This watch does everything that my old watch does." But my old watch just like cost ten bucks. Like I like I don't know why I need this. And that's what I thought of with the four hundred fifty dollar ruler. It's like there's a wooden ruler I have in my house right now that does everything that this thing does. Sure, but do you have a silver ball of yarn or a silver uh, bird's nest for ten thousand dollars? Are they selling that too? Yeah, a bird's nest. Yeah, you need one of those. Yeah, if you find a bird's nest outside and bring it into the house, that's disgusting. That, so Why not, would you do that? Uh, I Your children could catch something. Yeah, that would be Put bad. it back outside and replace it with something in silver. Just take out a loan to buy this $10,000 desk. So, I'm going to reveal what I think is going on here. Okay. Because usually, when you mock that's, something... That's fine, because no one's listening. Yeah, when you, when you mock something like Oreo flavors, they've gone out of control, or the, the candles at uh, uh, Bath, Bath and Body, Body Works, yeah. and then somebody sends you one. Nobody's nobody's sending me. A f- I know that. I'm tr- revealing that information to you. Like, oh, maybe somebody will send me one of these rulers for four fifty. Please don't. 
No, no one would. No, no one would. No, no one's. Uh, yeah, no one would do that. Your mockery of this is not no, intended the, to get you some uh, something. No, it is not. All Although, right. but let's close on this since you because because I was unaware You're of smarter than I thought. I was unaware of the ten thousand dollar nest. So look, we've got two items, and once you're you once you've got stupid money, and you're going to spend stupid money on something insanely dumb like a silver ball of yarn or a silver nest. Which one do you think they do? Because the the price difference is, I mean, it's a thousand bucks. So it's like, well, do I spend nine thousand on the ball of yarn? Do I spend ten thousand on the nest? Which do you think would get less ridicule? You got people coming over to your house, and you've got this on your mantle. Which one do you think makes people go, oh, that's interesting? And which, or or, or, or would people walk away and say, well, that's just that's nuts. I think the nest is more interesting. It works better as art. It's got little uh, Tiffany uh, Robin's egg blue blue eggs in it. Uh, so I don't know what they're, they're not made out of silver. They're made out of stone, I guess. And uh, I think it, at, as a piece of art, it works better okay. than than the, the ball of yarn, which is just kind of it's like a monopoly piece. I was just gonna say if you if, if you shrunk it, it would look like a monopoly piece. Yeah. You can read more from Bill Barker and his colleagues, for the three people still listening. Go to FoolFunds.com and check out what the Motley Fool Asset Management folks are working on. It's great stuff, and uh, it's it's not it's not a four hundred fifty dollar ruler. It's it's the opposite of that. So you know what else was working for them? Just to give a little actual business analysis here. Now that uh, I'm doing the wrap up. Well, yeah, you went so far off topic with the Bob Newhart thing. I thought there was still going to be time to talk about their earnings report. By all means. So part of what uh, helped here, and I only bring this up because I think it's going to be a theme that'll come up at times over the quarter as as earnings season really kicks in, is that the weak dollar. Uh, was a big help, and it's an especially big help for Tiffany because you've got uh, people coming in and shopping in the U.S. a lot of the time, and they want to, if if they've got a strong currency, Tiffany is a des- sort of destination uh, shopping spot for them, especially the the uh, global uh, flagship one in New York, which has had some problems with. Uh, protesters outside of Trump Tower interfering with people getting in and out of uh, Tiffany in a, a way that they wanted to. But uh, at any rate, you've got a lot of foreign money that makes a lot of these purchases, and that one unit uh, delivers a lot. And I can't remember what the percentage is. I'm going to say it's like 10 or 20 percent of the entire you know uh, global sales. Um, and and when you've got a weak dollar. Uh, the stuff, this stuff that people are just—they're very easily. This is very discretionary purchases. Uh, the Tiffany, a lot of the Tiffany stuff is the everyday objects underlines to an enormous degrees. You just don't buy things like this uh, at times when when money is tight. So they're going to benefit. They did benefit to the uh, about two percent. So if you take out the foreign foreign currency translation, uh, their real. Uh, same store sales were up about three percent, rather than five percent. So I, I just bring that up because that is going to be a thing this quarter and going forward. That part of what is helping uh, some of the U.S. Uh, numbers is the the weakness of the dollar. That's a good point. I appreciate that. It's not as interesting as that long Bob Newhart watch. 
it's much more relevant for investors, though. Thing. Um, we we are out of time, and uh, I should point out that um, another huge piece of news today, um, which is uh, Celgene uh, possibly acquiring Juno. Yes. Uh, big biotech news. Um, we never got to that today. Here's the good news, though. Christine Hargis is going to be covering that in spades on today's episode of Industry Focus. So, if you're not checking out the other daily podcast at the Motley Fool Industry Focus, today is a great day to start doing that. Uh, Bill Barker, Motley Fool Asset Management, thanks for being here. You should put that little hint in at the beginning so people you know, knew which podcast to listen to today. This is the reward for listeners who somehow managed to make it all the way through to the end. Got it. As Dan Boyd shakes his head correctly. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about on the Motley Fool, may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.